in the book, in the beginning, in the um, first forward, I guess, and it says, we are, we have recovery are more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. I want to first start out with the word seemingly, because it's, it's important for what I'm attempting to sort of invite you to look at. Seemingly means that it appears to be true or false to me. Yeah? So a hopeless state of mind and body becomes hopeless when it seems to be hopeless to you. And then let's say you get offered the opportunity to have recovery and you entertain this possibility, then that seemingly hopeless state of mind and body doesn't seem to be hopeless anymore. Yes? So you and I play a huge role in what that means. So a state of mind and body can be hopeless to us, or it may not be hopeless to us. So really what needs to be changed isn't the hopeless state of mind and body, but what needs to be changed is what's thinking it's a hopeless state of mind and body. And what we do as an apparatus, or as a, yeah, as an apparatus, as this body and this mind, is that we give meaning to things. So we can give meaning to something that it is seemingly hopeless. And what, if I start entertaining something that as seemingly hopeless, I usually end up in a state of fucking, you know, because it's hopeless. So I don't care if it doesn't make sense or not, I'm still going to get loaded because I'm in a hopeless state of mind and body. There's no way out, so why not just keep digging? So the idea of seemingly, to me, is based on the fact that you and I give meaning to things. So if we see something and we're not in good shape that day, we'll see it as a problem on Monday. The next day, we're in good spiritual shape, we'll see the same thing as not a problem. On Wednesday, if you're not in good spiritual shape, you'll see the thing as a problem again. What is it? Is it a problem or isn't it a problem? It's really the meaning you're giving it. And so basically that... That thing that you feel and or I feel is real and solid isn't really real and solid. It is impressed with the meaning we've given it. So if you realize that you are giving meaning to things all day without knowing that, and that meaning may be, let's say, thematically driven by a system called self-centeredness, so we're in a sense of being self-centered, and that system gives meaning to our life. And it's a very small system. Like every possibility self-centeredness has to offer, I've been through already. Every take that self-centeredness has on what you're doing and what someone else is doing, I've been through it. All I'm doing is, is rehashing it constantly. And one of the words that we have in AA captures it. It's, a, it's the word of resentment, which means, break it down, to refeel. So in a lot of situations, we're in conscious contact, something happens, and we're conscious of it, and then there's a mental reaction to what happened, which is self, a selfing. And you see that, you see what happened as, it's happened to me. And as soon as something happens, and it's seen as it's happening to you, it has a different meaning than when it was just happening. Yeah? Like most people are living a life interpreted as life's happening to me. The freedom that I've entertained and experienced is I see life as just happening. I don't see life as happening to me. I just see life as happening. So there's the conscious contact with life, which is the recognition that something's happening.
but it doesn't get bounced off that and turn into constant obsession about me. Yeah? Because I believe everything that's happening is only happening to one me. So everything that happens, and everything I hear, feel, taste, touch, think, and, and smell, all those different feelings, all those different experiences, all are seen as how it pertains to me. That's called self-centeredness. That is the root of the disease. Everyone is suffering from self-centeredness. Yeah? Alcoholism is just an extreme like subdivision of self-centeredness. Yeah? We're extremely centered in self. And so that extremity causes the expressions of self to be more obvious. Yeah. In other words, our life is, put, is painted with a broad stroke. So we're flamboyant. We create, we're like a tornado. We, we, correct, we create wreckage and stuff. But everyone here, if they're not entertaining the awakeness of what they are, they're in self-centeredness. So this extreme self-centeredness, everything that happens is seen as it pertains to you. And the you that it pertains to may not be you. Yeah? The you that it pertains to are all the old ideas they talk about recovery, which is the result will be nil unless you let go of all your old ideas. Let's say I see somebody. I see them. Yeah, I'm conscious of that. Then it goes here to I'm seeing them. Yeah? My consciousness is I can see you. I'm aware that you're there. And then the consciousness also goes back to I'm seeing from me. That's where the dilemma is. Yeah? Because as soon as it's interpreted, I'm seeing from me, me represents thousands of old files that get downloaded. So everything you're in contact with is given meaning yeah, from these files. And you don't know the extent of those old files. Yeah? You have no freaking clue. We talk about you have to let go of all your old ideas or the result will be nil. These, to me, are indications of that. So then something's happening... I'm conscious, there is conscious contact, I'm aware of that, but what becomes aware of it is Paul, and that's the story. That's the beginning of the story, yes? So Paul goes, I don't want to be aware of that. But it's sort of like if I'm looking out a window, if I'm looking out a window, my eyes are open, and a bird flies by, I'm going to see the bird. My head may say, I don't want to see the bird, but I've already seen it, yeah? The conscious contact is already so. The reaction to conscious contact is the selfing. So, I'm consciously in contact, I'm seeing, feeling, tasting, touching, and thoughts are going by, but what reacts to it is selfing. Yeah? It's a system of thought and interpretation which you're the center of, the you that you're not, being the body and the brain. So, your life becomes centered as this, and this is in relation to all of that, and that's where the confusion arises. Because you may be mistaken. In AA it says, hey, the dilemma is that it's a spiritual malady. To me, the, the malady is, is forgetfulness. We've forgotten that we're spirit because we're constantly remembering that we're this. Yeah? So every time there's an experience of spirit in contact, it's turned into Paul the body being in contact. And Paul the body has a lot of opinions about what it's in contact with. I don't want to be in contact with it. I do want to be in contact with it more, and so on and so forth. And then, that identification as that self, which I believe is the root of the problem, your daily narrative in your head is reinforcing it by obsessing over it. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
So you're like a little planet Paul, and all your thoughts are orbiting around it all day. They say you have 70,000 thoughts a day. God forbid they're true. We start to think us. For us, about 69,980 of them would be about us. You know what I mean? But we have a lot of thoughts go by in our head. And most of them are seen to be about you, yes? Or that you're the thinker of them. Yeah? Isn't that how the thoughts are held? When you see a thought, because you see it, you don't think it, you see it. You're aware, and then something arises in the awareness, and it's a thought, and you're aware of it. But when you're aware of it, you believe you're the thinker of it, whether it's about you. That's the bondage to self. The bondage to self isn't a thought. If you want to see, if I had three words up here, let's say put money up there, sex, and let's say sex again. So everyone would look at those words and there's meaning to them. Money, sex, and sex. And they have a certain weight. If you're not having any sex, it may be heavier. Whatever. If you don't have any money, it may have more meaning. But I'm going to change the whole meaning of it by adding one little word. The word is my. My money. Now you've got your whole book. You have a huge novel about it in your life, don't you? Money's just money, but when it becomes my money, it changes everything. Sex is sex. My sex, it changes everything. I'm having a really nice time with a, this woman, but as soon as she becomes my girlfriend, I'm up on stalking charges a couple months later. The my changes everything. It changes everything. So the money, the sex, the relationships just mean something. But as soon as there's the my, as soon as your head in self-centeredness claims it to be its, then it injects a lot of meaning into it. A lot of meaning that you may not be aware of because you have picked up a lot of conditioning and a lot of old ideas, a lot of beliefs about what you are like, what you are, what you're not, what you should be like, all this stuff. And as soon as something comes up and there's contact... Your head jumps in and claims it. I'm the one that's in contact with that, and then it injects a lot of meaning to that. Yeah? And what's forgotten in this activity is what? The bare conscious contact. You become unconscious because the conscious contact is forgotten, and your thoughts about it are what's remembered. Yeah? Instead of the experience of life, it's the interpretation of life. So, someone walks in the room, very rarely are they experiencing walking in the room. They're thinking about who's in the room when they're walking in. They're thinking about, are my pants too short? They're thinking about, did anyone notice me walking in the room? So, the experience of the walking in the room isn't really experience. The thoughts about it are experienced. Yeah? That's called the conscious contact turning into being unconscious. Because what, it, what happens? You become unconscious to the conscious contact. And now you become super conscious to the interpretation of the conscious contact, which is selfing. Yeah? Selfing. That's what I call it. I don't believe self, there's a noun called self. It's a verb the mind's doing. So in AA, this is my humble, humble opinion. In AA, they brought us to the root of the problem. They said the root of the problem is obsession with self. Now, I've been sober for a while, and I was looking into it for quite a while, and I beg to differ with that. I don't think it's obsession with self. I believe it's identification as self. It's totally different. And I really believe the obsession with self is how the mind reinforces the identification as self all day. And the vague 
let's say, definition I use to represent self is believing you're a long-lasting or feeling like you're a long-lasting, separate, independent entity or unit. In other words, a body. So this believing this to be the case is what I call the noun of the verb of selfing. So selfing is going on all day. Your head is selfing all day. All day. It's whole... You're the, the, the parameters of thinking are so small, they come out of a system called self-centeredness, and they cannot think outside that box. So you're thinking, that's why you're thinking. Let's say, if, like if I ever meet a newcomer, and they're telling me they're having troubles, and then they tell me their great idea is they're going to go home and think about it. I'll even go to coffee with them, you know, to stop them from going home and thinking about it. Because they're going to apply the problem to the seeming problem. That's a dilemma. Thinking is a very archaic system. It really, really isn't that... It's not expansive at all. It's captured by its system, which is self-centeredness. It's a very small box. So, this obsession is what keeps the reinforcement of your believing. You're the noun, being this, that the verb of selfing is creating or making. It can't create because you're not a noun. It makes the illusion that you're the noun by listening to the verbing all day. Yes? So this reinforcement, or this habit, reinforces the identification. But the real problem is the identification as self. Because even when you get a lot of knowledge about self, it says in our book that self-knowledge avails you nothing. Now you would think knowledge about self would be valuable. But see, he's not saying knowledge about self. It's saying self-knowledge. And what happens with this, this mind of selfing is whatever it comes in contact with, it tries to take advantage of or claim. Yes. So here you are trying to study what self is like, but you may be studying what self is like as self. Yeah. So now you learn a lot about self, but that's never going to take you out of self because you're in the conundrum of self can't get out of self. And you're not going to be able to attain that you can be out of it if you think you're in it. You can entertain being out of it, but you'll always go back in. <laughs> That's the dilemma. Just like when you turn over your life on Friday and then you seem to take it back on Monday. What's that about? I thought I surrendered my life, but I took it back. No, 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 no. That's just the selfing, yeah. So in this idea of selfing, this obsession creates a sense of being a noun, this. Yeah? You take this to be you. And in so taking this to be you, you inherently forget your spirit. That's the spiritual malady. And so I'm just hoping to enter, you know, to offer you something to entertain that may bring you to that point. Yeah. To me, it's like a whole row of knots. Yeah. Let's say uh, the effects of selfing is one knot, maybe in incapable of having a viable relationship with another human being is another knot. Yeah? Maybe money troubles is another knot. And we're busily trying to undo some of the knots to get relief. Yeah? So let's say we work on one knot. And let's say we get some relief. But, and we read a book about it or we do a workshop and we start telling everyone, oh, I found a, a great relief, but after a week or two, it's knotted up again. So you throw the book away. Hey, that guy sucked. He didn't know what he's talking about. Because it doesn't seem to last. And also, when you loosen up one knot, it doesn't seem to affect the other knots. Let's say you're having money troubles and relationship troubles. So you do like a month-long retreat on relationships. 
Maybe you get a little looser about relationships, but your money dilemma is still so. So what happens is, if you go back to the first knot, though, and to me, my belief in the first knot is that it's identification of self. And if the truth is told about that, and that knot loosens up, you'll know the tree by its fruit. Because this knot has a thread that runs through all the other knots in your life. And this knot loosens up, all the other knots, as a byproduct of this one loosening up, will loosen up. And by the tree, you will know the fruit. A tr good tree cannot bring forth bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bring good fruit. And you should have radical relief. You should, not should as if you should, but the possibility is very probable, if you entertain this, that you'll travel lighter. And in the traveling lighter, you'll know you're onto something. You don't need a verification of from 800 pages of scriptures, your own gut will tell you. I'm traveling later. I'm walking in rooms and I'm not thinking, did anyone see me? You may be thinking of it, but the emphasis has shifted. Yes? Your preoccupation with you in the foreground, your whole life gets shifted to the background. And then what's happening gets shifted to the foreground. Most of us are living in what's not happening. Check it out. Can you mine, can you mine, can you harvest, harvest any anxiety right now from this room? Absolutely none. You'd have to bring it from what's not happening. You would have to be entertaining a next Friday. Yeah. And in, in, in what's not happening, remember, anything can happen in what's not happening. It has no rules or regulations because... It's not happening. <laughs> so anything can happen. So next Friday, you can have cancer. Next Friday, your girlfriend is making lovely sex with your, your uh, best friend. Next Friday. And you may even want to have a preemptive attack tonight to make sure they know that you know that they're going to do it next Friday. They don't have a freaking clue about next Friday. They're, they're in a mythical next Tuesday. But here you are on a, this Friday, and you're in next Friday. And so in next Friday, you have cancer. Next Friday, you've lost your job. Next Friday, everything's gone to shit. Yeah. And so here you are sitting, and none of that's happening. But unfortunately, your body just reacts to your head. So if your head, which it can do, if you're identified as what's truly not happening, which is you as a self, that gives you license to travel unimpeded in what's not happening. <laughs> because you're the original what's not happening. The idea of being a self. <laughs> that gives you wings to go into what's not happening. Yeah. So you go into what's not happening, and you harvest a lot of anxiety. Yeah. But the harvesting of the anxiety gets dumped not in what's not happening, because then you'd have the experience that anxiety is not happening. But it gets dumped in what's happening through your body, through your nervous system, through your head, through your palms, you get sweatier, your mind's racing. So you're reacting to what's not happening. And that reaction to what's not happening is overriding your conscious contact with, with what's happening. So basically, you're unconscious. You're out to lunch. You're in a trance. So in a trance, so here you are. In, see, because anxiety is not fear. Fear is a valid emotion that happens when, in a situation, something threatens you. And then you either fight or take flight. Yeah? But anxiety 
creates the, the physiological effects of fear, but it, it is not fear. It's a mental, like, replication of fear. Because, and it's produced in what's not happening. And then it's downloaded in you because you are what's happening. You are in the location of what's happening. But all those products that are harvested don't come from your field of this moment, here and now. They come from an imaginary field of past and future. And they get dumped in here now. And then you react to them, and it cuts off your ability to respond to this. And then your head tells you, this sucks, because you've never actually been here. <laughs> Literally. It sucks, because you haven't been here. You're passing an incredible amount of authoritative takes, and you've never even been here. You've already, always been in what's not happening. <laughs> it, yes, and it has, in what's not happening, it has a mythical moment of all moments that you compare this moment to, and this moment will never measure up to that mythical moment because that mythical moment never happened. <laughs> and it never will happen. You know. <laughs> so, if you're living in what's not happening, then you have a lot of products of anxiety, regret, because you believe that things could have been different. It's insane. The only, the, the only, whatever was supposed to happen, you know it was supposed to because it did. <laughs> That's the only requirement. <laughs> if it didn't happen, it wasn't supposed to happen. Because why? It didn't. <laughs> it's as simple as that. So in this realm of what's not happening, what most of us are abiding in, yeah, what we do get is an interpretation of what's happening. The what's not happening overrides our conscious contact, and then we live this interpretation, and it replaces our ability to live, and we get subdued in it, and we start hunkering down in its unbearability, and then we seek and seek and seek to get relief from it. Yeah? But all the while we're seeking to get relief from it, we're seeking to get relief from it as it, as selfing. And if you seek relief... From selfing, as selfing, all you get is relief for selfing. And it's a glutton for relief. It eats up relief like anything, like jujubes. Nothing, no relief will ever be lasting. You'll always have to get more. Isn't it the case? We've been conditioned to believe solutions are temporary, they always have to be maintained, they always have to be reinvigorated and turbocharged and everything like that. Because in my view, a solution won't work if you keep applying it to an imaginary problem. How can you apply a real solution to what's not happening? The solution to it is to recognize it's not happening. That's the solution to it. If you try to keep applying a solution to an imaginary problem, the solutions will, all, will actually become the bigger problem. Yeah? Because how can they bring relief from an imaginary problem? It's impossible. The relief comes when you realize it's an imaginary problem. <laughs> yes. You're not a noun. <laughs> You're a verb. They call being, yeah? There's no divine being, like there's a noun that's being. There's being, it's a verb. You're conscious, yes? You're awake. You're awake. You're, you're conscious of thoughts. If you weren't conscious of thoughts, you never thought a thought in your life. You're just conscious of them. They arise, 
Your body and your brain react to stimuli and thoughts and memories arise, and you become conscious of them, just like you're conscious of everything else that comes in front of you or you feel and taste and touch. Yeah? You're conscious of them. You're not the thinker of them. Because a thought is a thought until it, makes, until it becomes your thought. Let's say you have 10,000 thoughts. Maybe they say 70,000. Let's say 10,000 thoughts are noticed in your head. Most of them you're not aware of because there's too many. Yeah? But let's just say a thought weighs something. Let's say it weighs an ounce. So you have 10,000 thoughts. So during the day, you're walking around with 10,000 ounces. That's how you're traveling. You've got 10,000 ounces. And we're used to it. It's just sort of like gravity. No one today was at a cafe and someone was complaining about the effects of gravity. My left shoulder, gravity is really heavy on me today. Nobody knows, has any feeling about gravity. You're not conscious of gravity at all, yet it's affecting every one of our bodies all the time. But we're totally unconscious of it. It's sort of like that. (laughs) The truth, in a way. So so here, yeah, totally, you don't even know what's going on. Where was I? <laughs> gravity. gravity, no, prior to gravity. Um, 10, ounces. Oh, 10,000 ounces. Yeah, so there you are, traveling with 10,000 ounces. We're used to it, yeah? Doesn't even seem like we have any weight. But let's say each thought now is held as my thought, and that my injects another 15 ounces. So now you have a pound. So now you're having 10,000 pounds you're carrying every day. I would say your experience of living will be that you feel heavy. And when you feel heavy, you want relief, yes? I would imagine you want relief from that heaviness. But if what you go to for some advice about the relief is the problem, which is that modality of self-centeredness, then you're in a big dilemma, yeah? Because then thinking about the problem will create more weight. (laughs) Trying to think about a solution to the problem will create more weight. And you'll get more and more heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier, won't you? And then... It gets unbearable. So the head starts advertising how unbearable it is. It starts giving meaning to your day at work and says, they're all out to get me. And they're not even thinking of you at all. But now you look at everyone very suspiciously. They're all out to get me. I know I'm going to be fired by Friday. It's only Monday. The boss doesn't even know who you are. He just, you know, just sends you a check every week. I know. He's been thinking about me all weekend. You've got to fire that guy, Paul. And you get suspicious. And you're uncomfortable now. Nothing's happening, but your mind is getting into it. By Tuesday, it's getting a little unbearable. So now you're, 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 you're thinking. You start resenting all your coworkers. There's a big conspiracy. They're out they're fucking with me, you know. And then by Wednesday, you don't even go to work. Yeah. And Wednesday night, you're, you're talking to your friends, hey, I know I'm going to be fired, so I'm not even going to go. Thursday, and then they call you and you are fired. Yeah. So the mind gets to be right, and then it leads you to that point, which is always where it leads you, which is, fuck it. Yeah. As soon as you say fuck as soon as it says fuck it, and you agree with it, alcoholism cannot pick up a drink. It's like a parasite that has taken over us as a host. Yeah. It doesn't have an arm to reach for the beer. It has to convince the host to turn over its arm to its agenda. And it does that by hijacking thought and running huge advertisements to inevitably bring you to that fucket. Maybe it'll be a couple of small fuckets, but it's it's always leading to the big fucket, which is let's get loaded. And if you have no immunity to that, you're going to be powerless over that first drink. 
So here it's working itself on there, and it's brought me to the point of fuck it. And I, against all evidence, I mean, my host knows. It's sort of like if my host was a horse, and the pe- alcoholism was like a jockey, and I've been, I'm in a barn, I've been, I've been uh, separated from the jockey, and I'm doing pretty good in the barn, yeah? I have pay every day, and everything's good. And then I see that jockey walking, I'm going to be a little afraid. I'll rear up, and woo, you know? And they'll start talking to me. Oh, don't worry. It'll be different this time. And it starts, you know, patting my mane. I'm going, woo, no. I don't want that freaking jockey. I have a bad memory of that jockey. But it's going to be very convincing. Don't worry. It sucks today, doesn't it? Yeah, let's go get No, 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 no. But then it's sort of, it's convincing. It's talking to you, like convincing. But then it puts his leg up, and it gets on your back, and it stops talking to you as if it's convincing you. It starts talking as you, doesn't it? Now you're not thinking about going to 7-Eleven. You're at the 7-Eleven. You're not thinking about calling up that dealer. You're calling that dealer. And it's on, yeah? You've been taken over again. You've been possessed by the parasite. Well, the parasite has taken over the host, and then it uses you to express itself through. I'll give you the examples that's right in front of us at every AA meeting. I don't know about you, but when I first came to AA meeting, I had an incredible sense of terminal uniqueness. I didn't know what it was, but I really believed no one had the thoughts I had. And no one ever felt the way I felt, and definitely no one ever did what I did out there. The guilt and shame was incredible. And then I came in AA, and I listened to people share, and I could only come to two conclusions. Either they, how did they get my thoughts and my feelings and my reactions to life, or they're not mine. And this was revelatory to entertain that these thoughts weren't mine. And the first way I entertained them, as I recognize, maybe they're alcoholic thoughts. Because that's what happens. That's what we identify with at a meeting. I don't identify with who you are. I identify with what's taking you over. Because the same thing is taking me over. That's why you can go anywhere in the world to a meeting and there'll be an identification. Because there's all these different hosts, but there's one parasite called alcoholism. And it's taken over a lot of us, and it doesn't have an infinite amount of characteristics. They've been cataloged in the big book. The characteristics have been, characteristics have been talked about, have been studied, have been, workshops have been held on them, steps have been done over them. We pretty much know the characteristics of alcoholism. We can recognize them. And yet still, still, mind-boggling, page 64 in the big book, it says, very importantly, self being convinced, which means to believe with certainty, yeah? In your gut, being convinced that self manifested in various ways. Now, manifested means appearing. It, is, it has appeared in various ways. So, self appearing in various ways is what has defeated us. Yeah? So, Bill W., to me, is separating the two. It's saying self and us are different. Self has defeated us. Now, my experience is self defeated me because I was identified as it. That's how it actually defeated me. Because if in this room I look at, let's say, there seeming to be all these selves, if anyone, everyone in this room asked the same question, they'd all come with the same answer. Which self in this room defeated me? Everyone would say, myself. Everyone would say, myself defeated me. And maybe you were in a relationship with somebody, you'd say, his self defeated me, or herself, but obviously it would still be... When he got down, it would be myself has defeated me. Everybody, same question, one answer. Myself. So, self has defeated me because I've been identified as it. Self can't defeat me if I see it as self. Self, because if I see it as self, I'm not seeing from self. 
If I recognize it, one of the characteristics of recognition is it, of it is you know it's not you. That's true recognition of it. Everything else is self-knowledge about it. When you actually see it and you recognize it's not you, that's true knowledge. That knowledge can set you free. That knowledge can relieve you of the bondage of self. But you're mostly seeing from it. So this so self-manifested in various ways is what has defeated us. Then it says, okay, you're convinced of that. We will now look at its, meaning self's, manifestations in our life. Right in the book. We're now going to look at self's, or its, common manifestations in our life. The next paragraph is resentment. Is the number one offender. Then we do the fear inventory, then harm's done to others. So in my view, the way I interpret that statement is that what we're inventorying is self-expressions in our life. We're basically inventorying the characteristics of the parasite so that we can get recovered from the takeover. So we're going to do an inventory on the characteristics of the parasite so by seeing the fruit, we'll recognize the tree. So by seeing the fruit of selfing, which is fear, anxiety, not fear, anxiety, resentment, threat, feeling vindictive, all this baloney that we take to be the way I feel, that is not how you feel. So self manifesting in various ways, the common ones we're going to look at in recovery is resentment, fears, and harming to other people. Okay? So now I'm looking at my life to see the characteristics of self expressing into it, so that I can tell the truth about what? Self. And what's the truth about self? I'm not that. So people come in and they say, let me tell you about my fears. They're demonstrating the root of the problem. They're identified with the parasite's expressions. They're calling them their own. That's called identification. It's not like you were tattooed. It's an activity. The mind is constantly re-identifying as self through language. It's doing it all day. So you're talking about your fear you've already lost. Because you've claimed that fear, it's yours now. You've given it a home. It'll grow into a huge story. It'll be used for many excuses. Everything like that. That's what it does. So... Self manifested in various ways. We're just going to look at the grosser ones. You know, there's lots of them. You ever look at the dictionary at the word self? It has the word self, and then there's a hyphen, and then there's like a hundred adjectives. Yeah, self sabotage, self hatred, self love, self pride. And so, if you back, if you look at it in a good and bad way, about 85% of them are bad, and 50 like self love is good. So, if if self is interpreting your life. <laughs> it's sort of like if self is interpreting your life it's like you're the color yellow and life is going to present all these colors of the rainbow and every time you see or feel or taste these colors you're going to splash yellow on every one of them so in, ever, in other words your whole life the whole color of your life is going to be tinted right by the interpretation of selfing and you're going to take that to be the way life is. And it isn't that way at all. It's just one possibility. If you broke out from the bondage of self, you would see other possibilities, clear as day. That's why in A, you meet people and they say, they tell you about the worst thing that ever happened to them. And then they're in A for two years. And now they say, that worst thing that ever happened to me is actually the best thing that ever happened to me. What the hell happened? 
I thought it was the real worst thing. Like, it could not change. This is the worst thing that ever happened to me. And suddenly, in, when you change, the worst thing can be seen as the best thing. Can you imagine what that's telling you? The possibility of freedom that's available? If in your life what you were sure was the worst thing, by just doing a few steps and hanging out with us and entertaining the possibility of surrendering your will in life, that worst thing can be seen as the best thing, that's just a mere sample of what can possibly happen. We're entertaining. We're entertaining what's not happening and making it seem real. Can you imagine if you entertained what was really happening? The power that that would have? We're entertaining what's not happening. We're doing it. We're like miracle workers. We really are. We're making what's not happening seem to be more important than what's happening. I mean, that's like moving a mountain. Yeah? Unfortunately, you're moving it on you. <laughs> because what's controlling this ability to do things is your selfing, the selfing. If you surrender that ability to entertain to that power that's greater than self, you cannot believe what you can envision. First of all, the possibilities, some of us, the most we can entertain is, I will be better later. <laughs> you meet someone, hey, how are you? I'm terrible. Oh, I hope you're okay. I will be later. What about now? No, no, of course not. <laughs> the answer is, see, I'm busy not being un-okay. Give me some time. I'm milking it like a cow. I got almost. I got to be right almost. Let me keep going. Yes, I'll be, get back to me. I want to be okay later, but not now. This thing is, you entertain a possibility you are okay. Actually, you're neutral. You're not okay or not okay. You're some other place. I can't put it into words, but... <laughs> it's like you're placing that position of neutrality. So during the day, things happen, events occur, but what you really are attending to is the context of the day, which is the consciousness of it. And that consciousness doesn't deviate. It's always awake. It doesn't blink. It doesn't take a vacation. You don't have to get ready to be it. You don't have to prepare. It's prior to preparing. It's on already. <laughs> it's just boom. You just... <laughs> But the, thing, the difficult thing with the identification of self, and AA says, hey, perhaps there's a better way. So hopefully we're ready for it, says that in the fear inventory. And it, once again, he points to the, to the problem. He says, why do you have so much fear? Yeah? He doesn't let you go in on, on a story because he knows he would. He says, puts a period on it says, isn't it because self-reliance has failed us? So he's basically saying, all of your fears from yesterday, today, and tomorrow are all based on your reliance on self. Yeah? And the reason why, it's because it's unreliable. So what we have found ourselves relying on is an unreliable system. Yeah? We don't entertain ever leaving the system because we're identified with its center, which is self. That's its fail-safe. It's like this parasite of alcoholism is a very hostile takeover, as you noticed. <laughs> it's not nice to the host, is it, <laughs> when it takes over? It can be really rough on the host when the alcoholism possesses you. To, and it has to have an incredible strategy to keep the host at bay, to allow the takeover to stay in place. And it's found the greatest strategy. The parasite has convinced the host that it's the parasite. It's presenting you as a long-lasting, independent, separate object, a physicality, when you're actually spirit. And the only solution to the parasitical takeover, truly, is to realize your spirit. In that realization of spirit, 
then the separation from you and self is opened up, and that's the, that's the space of peace. That's freedom from the bondage of self. Freedom from the bondage of self is recognizing you're not that. And how it continues is you now start having your immunity to the narrative in your head because you're not holding them as your thoughts anymore. You're seeing them at least as alcoholic thoughts. And they lose their sway over you because they're not seen as yours or about you anymore. You have an immunity. I'm telling you, you will have an immunity. Because it's like, let's say I thought there's a girl I'm interested in is in the other room. Keenly interested in her. I'm already married to her. I haven't even said hello yet, but I have big plans for her and me. And so she's in the other room, and I'm hoping she's talking about me because of self-centeredness. Like, who else is she going to be talking about? <laughs> so I'm keen on hearing what she has to say. So I have something. I'm supposed to be doing this. So let's say this would be what's happening. And I'm supposed to be doing something what's happening, but I want to know what's happening in there. And I'm listening intently to hear if she says anything about me. Hopefully she'll say, hey, I like that guy, Paul, so then I'll ask it out or something. So I'm, and people come in and go, Paul, you know, you should be here. And I know I should be here, but I, I can't help myself here. Because I'm keenly interested. It's important to me. To me yeah. And so, so I said, hey, come on, Paul, read it here, right here. When you're in a room, you should be in the room, and that's all you should be in is in the room. I see it in the scripture, but I just can't. I want to know what she has to say. Then I hear her talk, and I hear that she's talking about Matt. I lose interest immediately. Don't I? I don't have to take a six-month workshop have not to listen to walls and other room conversations. As soon as it's not about Paul, I lose interest. That's exactly what happens with your obsession with self. If you start entertaining your not-self, you'll lose interest in it. If you lose interest in it, you'll lose interest in the daily narrative that reinforces it. And then what you've been so hoping to have, you will have. You'll have the, the obsession will diminish because you'll have one realization it's not about you. And you're keenly interested in you and you alone. Seriously. See it. Someone, let's say he comes and he shares his thoughts with me. I have incredible wisdom about his thoughts. Yeah. I'm like Solomon. I can tell him everything what he should do and pontificate and be perfect. He has the perfect diagnosis. But I'll be having the same thoughts, thinking they're genius in me. What's the difference? It's the mind. The mind distorts everything. So when you're dealing with your body, it distorts how you're going to deal with it. When you're dealing with your time, it distorts that. When you're dealing with your kid, just like that. If there's a kid, there's 30 kids in a, in a park, where's your attention going to go? The one that's yours. There's 30 kids, but your attention is going to go the one that's yours. That's what happens with thoughts. Because you think they're about you or the thinker of them, your attention goes there. And then you get bonded to those thoughts, and those thoughts open up to more thoughts, and that's the conditioning of being a self. It gets reinforced and polished and stressed. And, and after a while, you hunk it down, you don't know any better, and you're basically just trying to feel, get some relief out of it. Yeah? And you'll basically do anything to get the relief. So you become enslaved for relief, but the relief never lasts. So you have to keep going and getting more and more. More extreme, more this, more that. There's no freedom in it because you're in self-centeredness. It's like a small slavery. This is about freedom, isn't it? Yeah. In the book it says that you will cease fighting everyone in anything. That's not something the self can ever do. It's just a byproduct of waking up. A byproduct of realizing you're not self, you'll cease fighting everyone in anything. Because you'll see no need to fight everyone or anything. It's that simple. 
You'll be placed in a position of neutrality with no thought or effort on your part. In other words, in AA, we run with the ball for quite a while. But at this one point in the game, you're supposed to put the ball down and then something else runs with it. Yeah? The field is a lot longer than you may think. So, at some point, it has nothing to do with your thought or effort. Something, you just get placed in a position of neutrality. And in that place of neutrality, it seems as if the problem doesn't exist for you. And to me, that's the only solution that's worthy of its name, is when a problem doesn't exist for you. That's the only thing I would call a solution. And so you live as if the problem doesn't exist for you, because it doesn't, because it's an imaginary problem. You have never been a self, nor will you ever be a self. You have been, if you want to call it spirit or awareness, but you're definitely not a physicality. And when that correction occurs, then incredible, amazing things can happen. You can really experience what they say in AA. is like you'll have it by giving it away. Where in the world of self-centeredness have you ever met a Coke dealer who practiced that? (laughs) I never met a Coke dealer who practiced having it by giving it away. Yeah? Here, it's all about claiming and privatizing and owning. In that realm, it's about giving it away. That's how you have it. The having it isn't like an acquiring, it's a verb. You have it by giving it away, because you are it. Yes? <laughs> and the own experience of it will, will verify the truth of it. It's very difficult to argue with a long, long duration of traveling light. And this thing of... In AA we say you have to admit to your innermost self. Admitting to your innermost self, that is incredibly valid. There's no need to try to convince your head. There's no need to try to convince your head. It's pointless. You convince it, it's very, it's very uh, humble and everything, and for an hour, and then it's out there running and going crazy. You convince it and says, yes, I surrendered my life, and then it takes it back. Don't waste any time in convincing this. That's, you're not that. The commitment's already in place. Yes? That, to me, is the surrendered. What this does is surrender. Just to, to forget again and then to surrender again if it's lucky. Surrendered is a state. A state of recognition. It's a commitment. It's truly sobering. And it's not based on feeling. And it's definitely not based on thought. Surrender is... the I've noted, I watched the experience of surrender. It's one of the highest experiences in our community. It's surrender. And what it was with me is that what happens is I forget my admittance of powerlessness and there's a claiming of the power that's coming through as mine. That's the selfing, yes? When that happens, shit starts hitting the fan. Usually when shit hit the fan, I used to know it when it hit me in the face, yeah? Now I can see the shit and the fan align and I know what turns on the fan and I can save myself a lot of trouble. But... Here, shit's going to hit the fan, and if you're lucky, it's going to bring you back to a point that we call surrender, which is what? All I do is readmit my powerlessness. And if you notice that the only time you experience powerlessness is when you're exerting power. When you're trying to make someone do what they, you want, they seem never to do it, yeah? When you're trying to exert power, you open to the experience of powerlessness. When you admit powerlessness, you never experience it. You experience power. Yeah? If you stay in that, there's no need to ever surrender again. Now you're in surrendered, and then you can get on with it, man. 
Instead of building a house, knocking it down, building a house, you can let a mansion grow on where you stand. You can have a really, really, really large life. It doesn't have to look large to people out there. It's large as you're living it. I'll do this one thing I like to do in San Francisco to represent this statement about self and uh, the manifestations. So I'm a guy who has a beautiful lawn, really nice lawn, and I love it. You know, I run around in the morning dew with no shoes on. I have croquet matches. You know, I have picnics. This has a large, it plays a large role in my life. I love that lawn. And then one day I jumped off the porch without any shoes on. I stepped in some shit. Yeah. So I get up on the porch. As soon as I stepped on the shit, my life started getting smaller. I have to wear shoes now. Yeah. So then in the afternoon, I step down and I step in some more shit. So I do what most alcoholics would do. I go inside and try to ignore it. Hopefully it just disappears. <laughs> so I go in my room and then I come out a couple hours later and I'm walking around and I'm seeing there's a lot of shit on the lawn. So I have to cancel the croquette match. No more picnics. No more running around the morning dew. And it's starting to stink. And more and more I go, I leave and I come back, there's more shit. So and then I just pull down the blinds and I get pictures of grass. Yeah? I'm sitting in my room reminiscing. Oh, I used to love when I had a lawn. The lawn's right there, but I can't use it anymore. Oh, I used to love having a lawn. And I invite other people who used to have a lawn that don't have a lawn. And we reminisce. Oh, yes, look at that lovely lawn. What if, don't you have, oh, no, no, it's shit over there. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so then one day a guy comes in. And uh, says, hey, I think I have a solution to your problem. And because of the effects of the problem, very open to the solution. Or, or a solution. So he says, the solution is, I got this thing called a pooper scooper. Yeah? And you get pretty good at it. You can clean up enough of the lawn that for a while, at least a section of it, you'll have like it used to be, pristine. You won't be able to have a big picnic. Maybe just you. <laughs> One mallet in the croquet match. Only you. But at least there'll be some semblance of what it was like. Yeah. Beautiful lawn. So you say, yeah, I'd like to have it. And you're really ambitious because you really want to have freedom from the shit. So you get two of them. And you start getting good. Picking up poop shit like a lot. <laughs> and there's periods of time when the lawn is pretty nice. Not all of it, some of it. And people who have the same problem start hearing about you. So they start calling you up. And they start asking your advice. And you say, yes, I, this is the signature model I like, a pooper scooper. And uh, you start selling and informing them and everything. And you become a circuit speaker. You're walking around talking to people about picking up shit and how to do it and everything like that. And you're really quite good. <coughs> and you have a lot of respect from all the other people who suffer from it. And so then one day, again, selfing has sort of taken over this identification that you're a big circuit speaker, pooper scooper, whatever. Don't take this seriously, but you're like, you're a pooper scooper thumper. Yeah? Yeah. Really good at it. <laughs> and so there you go, and there's an identification as that. And so now it, someone else comes in and says, hey, I have a solution to your solution. <laughs> but you're sort of into your solution. Because you're getting a lot out of it. You get all these people loving you, and you can pontificate, and this and that. So you're hesitant. You're like, I don't know, I don't need a solution. I have one already. And he says, well... And he said, no, no, I'm pretty good. Look at all these people. They think I'm the, the authority about this. And what would I be without this shit in this lawn? Yeah? I sort of need it in a way now. So the guy says, okay, okay. But he says, hey, if you ever want to, just remember this statement. And you go, what? He says, find the dog. And you go, what? Find the dog. And you're like, what does he mean? Find the dog. Well, if you find the dog and get rid of the dog, there won't be any shit. You can actually put the pooper scoopers away. 
and get down to enjoying your lawn again. The difficulty is you're identified as the dog. You can't entertain getting rid of it because you think you're it. That's its greatest strategy. It'll shit all over your life and you'll be like a dog owner. You'll be picking up after it shit the rest of your life. It will have bring in anxiety in your life, resentments, harming other people in the pursuit of what you want, constantly living in what's not happening, having all that product downloaded into what's happening. You'll be overwhelmed constantly by it, and you'll be claiming all of it as you. No peace. You won't be able to get rid of the dog. You cannot entertain being free of self if you're identified as it. It's impossible. The way the mind works as it's conditioned cannot entertain being free of what it is. You cannot imagine you not being here. No matter how, ima- how much you imagine you not being here, it's you imagining it. You can never be entertained as not here. It's super threatening. But when you realize you're not that self, you can entertain truly being free of it. I mean free of it. Yeah? Where the state of the situation is the problem doesn't exist for you inherently from moment to moment. And that pause is the transfer from a life run on self to rely on something greater than self. The pause when agitated. The recognition of the conscious contact and not having that conscious contact lost by the mental reaction of selfing to it. Yeah? That pause is infinite. We think of it as a momentary little glitch in time, but it's actually eternal there. That pause you can live from. You can live in the pause which is the solution to all the agitation of the reactions of self to your life. And you can have a response to self that will be different. And you'll take your marching orders from another source, not from this failed system of self. You'll stop relying on what's unreliable, and so you don't have to live with all these expressions and keep calling them yours. How can you entertain being rid of them if you keep calling them back? You want to get rid of anxieties, but you call them yours every day. It's like they don't get the message. It's like this, like this. Oh, I can't lose. No. When they realize they're not yours, you can be free of them. Seriously. Seriously. You'll lose interest in them. You'll lose interest in them. If your interest, interest, which is your attention, which is everything in a sense, is freed from the slavery to self, and the thing is, it's almost like gravity, this attention. It has a homing device. It's only going to go to what you think you are. So if you think you're a long-lasting, independent, separate entity, there's going to be a lot of energetic oomph in your life that's going to make that seem so. It's very difficult to ford that river. Yeah? But it only goes to whatever you believe is you. If you start seeing that you may not be self, and that belief starts getting rested in what you are as spirit... That same thing that we call obsessing with self would be what they call in spirituality abidance in the truth. It's the same energy. Same energy. It's abidance when it's resting in spirit. It's obsession when it's resting on this mental idea of a self. And everyone in this room has tons of faith. Everybody has tons of faith. Faith manifests here by the vehicle it's put in. Most of us are having faith in self-thoughts. We have so much faith, we're bringing, we're conjuring what's not happening into what's happening and allowing it to override what's happening. That's in a huge amount of faith. Yeah? If that same faith you have in these thoughts, which is signified by the mind of it, was released from that and you had faith in your inherent selfness of awareness of spirit, you cannot believe what that faith will do for you. 
just what it's doing for you now in the opposite way. That discomfort, irritability, and restlessness, that uncomfortableness in your own skin, that anxiety, you'll have an easing comfort in your skin now. That's what faith does. It translates now into an easing comfort. The faith put into thoughts translates now into anxiety about what's not happening. <coughs> See it, man. There's freedom. It's available. It's, you know, it's just available. I just believe the mind is saddled with a very, very small system of, of possibilities. We're just trying to expand those. There are other possibilities, but they can't be entertained as a self. So we're going to try to use, in a sense, self to call out self, in a way. I, we did it today. I don't know if you'll understand this in a way, but let's try it. Conscious contact is awareness going out to things, yeah? We have six doors, body, you know, you hear, see, smell, touch, taste, and then... In Buddhism, they call the mind another sense. You see thoughts like the eye sees birds. Yeah? So you're seeing thoughts. You're seeing, you're hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, smelling. That's how a contact, that's how consciousness contacts this place, yes? Subconscious contact. So there's a natural movement to go out and, be, and contact things. That same movement goes the other direction, but it's hijacked by selfing. So that same attention goes back. But what it does is it goes back and gets hijacked and goes to the idea of being a self. And it obsesses over this idea that I'm a body and life that was born and has all these problems, yes? So the attention goes out. I have conscious contact. The reaction is I'm having the conscious contact. So the attention goes to me as the source of the contact. Me as this, yes? That's the dilemma. So if you ask yourself, a simple little subjective question, who am I? Yeah? Or let's say if you're worrying about next week, just ask maybe, who is it that's worrying about next week? So this attention, going out, meeting trees and people, and then seeing how they, re re how they refer back to me as a self, that's what it is. It's called the, the loop of self-importance. So conscious contact is hijacked, and now you become conscious of all the thoughts about you. Yeah. So that's the obsession with self. We're going to take this energy and just, by asking a subject, subjective question, we're going to take this entity that goes, hey, what about you? We're going to go, who am I? So we're going to question me, yes? So the energy goes like this, who am I? And this energy that's constantly going to the self turns around to answer it, yes? And then energy and energy meets, or awareness and awareness meets, and there's obviously no self. So you get a first-hand experience of that pause or that state of emptiness or that some people would call silence. So the subjective question is, all right, because I'm always saying, who's that? What's going to happen to me? Blah, blah, blah. And it, all my contact goes back to how it relates to me as the self. We're going to turn this opposite ways. <laughs> ask, who am I? And then maybe the head will go, me. Well, ask, the, well, who is this me? Put it on a dime and you'll see no one's there, maybe. <laughs> if you see no one's there, that's the free sample. Yeah? That's what you are. You are what to the head would be nothing. You are that. But that nothing is actually everything. That's what's in the pause. That's what's in that moment of clarity. That's when that, that divine intervention it's startling of the selfing into where it stops because it's a verb and then something that's always so appears. 
You may not, you may miss it because it'd be called silence or emptiness, but there's something in you that knows it because it is it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like it's a spiritual subpoena. You've been served. Eh? There you go. Eh? I've done my job. I can go back to California. So, uh, you want to ask any questions or anything? Yes? Yeah? Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. You're right, on, you're right on the mark in my journey. Uh, and you helped me. You enhanced my belief, my newer beliefs that I've gotten from my studies, from my. Uh, learnings about my higher power. And I call when my ego or myself that make believe, I call it the disease. We call it the parasite. And I laugh at it now. Yeah, I've been given that yeah, yeah. neutrality. I, I don't listen to it anymore. In fact, when I do listen to it, it's so small a time. I stay in the moment because that's where true self is. That's the real self. That's the real being. You are beautiful. You've been given this very special gift. Hey, you're welcome. Thank you very much. I'll pay you later for that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, my, <laughs> But we also remember that don't believe everything the mind says is also a thought you have. Don't believe that either. No, seriously. That's a thought. Don't believe anything your mind says. Don't believe that thought either. Take it back farther. It's not about not believing or believing. It's another place. Yes, sir. I practice what you were talking about. But I, you know, I have this thing about that old thinking that God forbid part. No matter how much sometimes I want to stay in the present moment and know that the mind dies and the self is another entity of me and it's not really me and I am spirit. And I love a CD I heard of yours about. I am spirit, so there's no need to seek it. That's right, yeah. And I love that part because it puts me in the present moment, but I still. Not as much. I still think about the Gothavids, the family, the completion, the end. How do you stay more present and not go there? You don't. Rec- you don't. You just recognize what that thinks it's less present is in you. What's thinking is less present, therefore wants to be more present. Neither of them are you. It's your head talking. You can't. You are the presence. You can't be anywhere other than the presence. You're the you're the presence itself. <laughs> you don't go to the presence and leave. You are it. <laughs> it's impossible to leave. You practice that, or just well, being it is the best practice, I'd say. <coughs> just like in AA, it talks about the spiritual condition is is contingent on the maintenance of it. Yeah. So I found the best form of maintaining a spiritual condition is to entertain you are one. Yep. Uh, I'm going to try and say this. I don't know if I can. Do 
you fool yourself into that? Do you, do you, I feel like I could actually lie to myself and say I'm in that place and not be in that place. Oh, it will say that, but you're not either of those. See, I'm not what... The, the thoughts are talking to another thought. They're not talking to what I am. I'm just aware of them talking. The awareness is hearing everything that's being said, but it's a dialogue between self and self, mostly. <laughs> yeah? So, of course, self can fool itself about this. It's doing it all the time. But there's something inherently... There's a point where its authenticity is uh, unrivaled, let's say. You just know in the gut. Yeah? It doesn't need to be authenticated by any thought or invalidated by any thought. It's just something that's recognized. It's not something that's been found or claimed by what's talking in the head. It's something that's been recognized that it has nothing to do with what's talking. Nor has it ever had anything to do with what's talking, nor will it ever have anything to do with what's talking. It's just the, the awareness of everything. Yeah. Now, uh, yeah, that's that. <laughs> My head can think it's in it or not. I don't care. <laughs> really. Do you know what I mean? This right now is my seat assignment. I show up and I do whatever happens. I have no thoughts about where I am, actually. So weird. I'm hard, it's hard to say. It's just a sense that's not conjured up or maintained by thought or verified by thought or even attacked by thought. It's so contrary to the sense of thought, it's, it's uh, hard to... I don't, it's hard to... You'll see the difference between thought and that very easily. I know when, when thought takes over and I hear and all those things come in immediately. Yeah. When I just go, you know, sometimes it's weird because I'll just try and... You know, I'll do... Like I have a routine and I just do my routine and then, you know, when I want work to come or I want money to come or I want relationships to happen or I want all those things... I get banged out. Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt about it. But when I just, when I just go through the day. So you already know. (laughs) You already know. Yeah? I mean, you just explained it. So what would I, what would you say if I said what you are is neither of those? Yeah, good. Confusion is good. Confusion is good because you'll exhaust the reliance on that system that wants to know. Yeah? No. You are. You don't want to be, you are. Yes. It's faster than wanting to be. That would be too much. You are it. See, knowing... uh, Can I read you something about knowing? Yeah? I think I have it with me. Hold on. I love this statement. It's from a Christian woman called Bernadette Roberts. I found it in a, in a book. I really, really like this. I hope I can read it. I wrote it small. All right, yeah. So it says here, when mind, you know, lives solely in the now moment, akin to a state of unknowing. Yeah? When mind lives solely in the now moment, akin, sort of like, you know, a state of unknowing. 
it becomes incapable of disorder and confusion. That's exactly what it's like. What you are is incapable of disorder and confusion. Yeah? It sees disorder and confusion. What makes you think you're disordered and confusion is the identification as a self. What you are sees that, but it doesn't become that. Yeah? That's the immunity. So it says, when mind lives solely in the now moment, akin to, to a state of unknowing, it becomes incapable of disorder and confusion. In contrast, it's the continuous unsettled movements of the mind in a state of knowing that are solely capable of giving rise to indecisions, confusion, unreality, and so on. To me, the root of the mind state of knowing is that you know that you're a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. And there's a mistake there. You're not. So that false sense of knowing keeps getting reinforced. And the sense of knowing, see, you know it should be different than it is right now. That's what causes you an inability to accept how it is. Because you know it should be different. It's the sense of knowing that creates all the disruptions. You think the sense of knowing is what produces security. But it only produces security of mind and self. The true security is in the, in the insecurity of unknowing. That's the real security. In the unknowing, you're constantly alert and open and awake because you don't know what the hell's going on. <laughs> you really don't. You don't have a freaking clue. It's like you've been paratrooped into the seat and suddenly you're, all these people are looking at you and it's like each moment is like that. There's a sense of unknowing. It's the knowing is the booby prize. You want to know something as, because it gives you a sense of security. But that thing that the knowing is the deadening of life. So, yeah, I love that. I love that way she put it because the sense, I always bring it back to that first sense of knowing. You know, you have a sense that you're a body. You know it. Your perceptions reinvigorate that belief all day. The feeling that, yeah, you're over there and I'm here. That separation is true. It's, it's a sense of knowing, 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 and that knowing is creating a huge confusion and disillusionment and unhappiness because the spirit doesn't need that knowing. Yeah, the spirit doesn't need any of that. Oh, wait a minute. I he was coming to get me, man. Shut up, they have to pull me out, you know. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. That's right. But thank you very much for your presentation. I really enjoyed it. Um, and and I, get, I get the skin bag. I get the physical presence. I get the winning formula. Repetition of thought against self-contraction. I get the languaging my truth and living against my failures. Can you run that by me again? 
No. It was more of a sense of communicating because we all come from the same tribe, most of us. Yes. Because the basic truth is, is actually a living book. It's meant to be interpreted. It's meant to, to be added on to. Yeah. He's not done yet, I can tell. Come on. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. I'll tell you my view, really. To me, this is a living book. It's based on where you're at when you read it. There aren't many books like this. A lot of books are stable and they're secure. When you read it, that's what you get. This changes because of the meaning changes. It's a living thing, and it was, my view, it was delivered through someone. Bill W. It wasn't his, now copyright or authority of his. It was delivered through him, and it's meant to be interpreted in a lot of ways. It can be, let's say. And the point is, is to explore, because it's like a field of meaning. Yes? By your own understanding, you can produce another crop. Yes? It's so beautiful. Because the field of the dilemma, or the basic construct of dilemma, has been laid out. It had never been laid out before. People were getting lobotomized, or they were in the attic at Uncle Fred's house or something. You know? they didn't, people didn't know what to do with an alcoholic. And now, the characteristics of it, but to me, it's, it's alive. And the possibilities to be dogmatically contained and try to frozen into a static thing, I think, is missing the point. It's an organic, living thing to me. And uh, when this occurred with me, the way I read the book just changed unbelievably. The word self, there was like a whole new download everywhere time I saw it. It was like the book was totally a new life in it because of what had shaped, sh shifted. Yeah? And then it was unbelievable what I was seeing. And it was the exact same words that had been pointed out to me, but I'd never seen them. How many people see that statement of self, being convinced that self manifests in various ways, why has defeated us? How many people look at an inventory process as taking an inventory of self-expressions in your life? Very few in our community. Very few are seeing it that way. They're seeing it as my resentments, my fear, and my ha habit. I'm just putting on another light. Maybe it's identification. Maybe the real dilemma is you're calling the anxiety yours. I found great relief when I held it that way. When I stopped seeing these things as my fear, I have a lot of difficult time letting go of my fear. But fear, I'm easy to, it's easy to let go of fear. Because it comes and it goes. But when, it's just like a thought. A thought comes to go, but when you call it mine, it buzzes around like a fly. It doesn't want to be in your room, but you've claimed it. You've closed all the windows, and now the fly is going to take your attention until it dies. And, di and flies die a lot quicker than some thoughts. 
You keep reinvigorating them year after year. You've been thinking about the same thing for 50 years. You've been feeling something that actually probably never even happened to you as a resentment. To me, this was radically revolutionary. So I got inspired to bring it back to my tribe. Shit, yeah, most people leave AA when something like this happens. Page 25, question on that part of the solution, that part where it says the central fact of our lives today is the absolute certainty that the Creator lives in our hearts in a way that is indeed miraculous. When I hit that, I lit up like a light bulb. I, everything changed. Yeah, everything. yeah. Isn't that beautiful? I, I woke up. It was like the veil was lift, lifted from my eyes. And, and I it was a separation. I started to become like a watcher of something. It's quite funny. It's hilarious. It's hilarious. Oh, you laugh at yourself. <laughs> it's freaking hilarious. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Seriously, you ever watch it? It's mind-boggling. Yeah. It's incredible. I did two years of ten steps once, and every night the same thing. I'm afraid of, and then it could just fill in the blank. I'm afraid of it. Was, oh, you know, it was just harvesting fear out of nothing constantly, or anxiety, all day. That's all it does. Yes. You're busy being a farmer of a dead field. You're harvesting crops from what's not happening, and you're not tending to the crops of what's happening. Of course there's going to be a disassociation. You're not here for all intents and purposes. Yes? I mean, to me, the higher power is a present tense verb, and you're a present tense verb. You can't meet a higher power in the past or the future. There's no past or future. Those are mental constructs. The higher power is a present tense verb. Like, presence doesn't mean wasn'ts and willants. It's presence. Awareness doesn't mean unaware and then get to be aware. Awareness is awareness. That's its nature. I believe I'm the nature, not the possibilities of either or. Like the teaching I heard was unbelievable because I saw conscious and unconscious here, yeah? But then they said all there is is consciousness. Here in this world of duality, consciousness can appear to be unconscious or conscious, but it doesn't lose its essence that all there is is consciousness. So that's the whole dilemma. People think that I'm more conscious than, and I was less conscious. You're neither of those. Those are just appearances of consciousness. Yeah? Consciousness can appear to be conscious or unconscious here, but consciousness isn't determined by its appearance, and you're not determined by the ups and downs and the yes and no's. Any other questions? Hey, I want to thank you for inviting me here, too. I swear. It's By having it is owning it in the present sense. Yes? Yeah. By giving it away. That's the way I own it, is by giving it away. Other, in a self-centeredness, owning is different. Yeah? It's by having it. But in this, I believe, you own it by giving it away. And again, exactly like you said, the beauty is, if you, if you believe you can attain and achieve something, you will also believe you can lose it. 
If you realize you have nothing actually to do with it, therefore you can't lose it because you don't have it. And therefore it's always available. You see? So beautiful. To me, if I have an idea of a higher power, it's always available at all times with no requirement necessary to meet it. Yeah? It's not, in other words, in our book it talks about playing God. It says the how and why of it is to quit playing God. Watch your head and you'll see the playing God. It plays God with God all day. It tells you how far you are from God. And then says if you jump through these 50 hoops, it's like, you know when you used to play those games? You're getting hotter, you're getting hotter, you're getting hotter, and you go, oh, you're cold again. It's what your mind's doing. It's made up in a location where God is. Thank you, man. Nice to meet you. Thank you very much. It's made up a location where God is, and it's telling you, oh, you're getting hotter, you're getting hotter, you're getting hotter. Then it just changes it. You're cold, you're cold, hotter, cold. You never arrive. It's hilarious. Jesus Christ. That's playing God. When you wake up in the morning, your head tells you how the day's going to be. That's playing God. How the hell do you know how the day's going to be? Yep. First of all, I always question who's harboring the ill will. Who's harboring the ill will? See, if there's a sense of wanting to be a you, it needs to harbor ill will. Just have a sense of being the you that harbors it. If you give up that idea of being a you, you'll let things go. Yes? See, you believe that the you is harboring ill will. The you needs the harboring of ill will to seem like a you. You need to have been you need to to be to have been crossed to be right about something to get a sense of being a you. So the real dilemma isn't the ill will, it's the ill will is reinforcing the idea of being a Paul, and you do not want to give up that reinforcement. The head doesn't. When you realize that's not you, you will give up the ill will. Seriously. Because it won't have its main intent, which is to reinforce the idea of being a self. That's its main intent. It's not ill will. It's your head needs the ill will to, to appear to be someone who's been wronged. Yes? So it can be right. Watch it. It's incredible. It will always, it's like, ta- it's like tying a little string to the mouse. It will bring you back to the whole of self. You'll see it. You'll see where it's coming from. The ill will is easily forgotten, but not by a self. Just like our book, when they had that story, they used to have the story Freedom from Bondage, and the lady said she got sober, and she, she realized that if she doesn't do a resentment inventory, she's going to drink, and she thought she had one resentment about her mother, that she thought her whole life she would have given up like that if she had a chance. But then she realized that she'd been cultivating it, and they had given her excuses for her whole life about her marriage not working and not going to college. That freaking resentment was very important to self. It wasn't good. That was a gold mine. 
It was cultivating righteousness and all this stuff. It wasn't letting go of that resentment. And she realized she had to let it go or she'd drink again. That's the dilemma. The resentment isn't the problem. It's the you that's having the resentment that's the problem. The bondage is not to the resentment. It's you. The self is the bondage. You're the, you're the glue, not the resentment. How can one resentment glue to you and one not? If a resentment was glued, then all resentments would be glued to you. They're not. You give them the meaning they have. And to some, to the mind and self, some resentments have a huge meaning. They give it a sense of being a person. It's not willing to let go of that resentment. It's like a death threat to it. Yeah? The bondage isn't on the resentment side. You're the binding agent. If it was on the resentment side, every resentment would have the same bonding ability. Why isn't that the case? It's not. You're giving it the meaning. And the meaning is, this reflects a Paul. I'm not letting this go. I'm right about women with this resentment. It, can give me, it will give me my right not to, not to ever try to love again, because I got fucked once by them. It's unbelievable. See it. The mind's using everything for its own little propping. Thank you very much. Can we end now? Yeah. yeah. I'm getting tired. I'm getting tired.